When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, I want you to picture an apple and not a fruit basket. Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to encourage Christians to apply a biblical worldview to every area of their lives so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. When it comes to spiritual gifts, God has gifted all of us uniquely. Some are naturally calm and peaceful, while others can demonstrate patience and mercy that almost defies logic. One person may have incredible self-control, while another demonstrates an endless amount of love to others. And although all of us may excel at something, it's easy to look at what we lack and feel dismayed or downhearted. Or we might even use it as an excuse to not do those things we're bad at. And we'll say things like, that's just not one of the fruits of the Spirit that I've been given. But I don't want you to lose hope, and I don't want you to give up on those areas where you see weakness. Because through Jesus Christ... We all have each and every description that's listed in that famous Galatians passage. So what I mean by that is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So think about what happens when we sin. Obviously, we want to know why. We want to know why did we give in to that thing again? Why was I weak? Why does this keep happening? Or why is this a new sin that I'm suddenly dealing with? And we might you know, run circles trying to figure out what made us do it. We might have all kinds of things to blame. But what we can often easily do is if we're looking for an excuse or if we just don't know what else to say, we'll just look at this Galatians passage and just count off all the individual fruits that we don't have. We will say, well, you know, I'm kind, but I just don't have self-control. And that's why I ate too much or I had alcohol again or I got angry. You know, I just I, I don't have self-control or I don't have peace or patience. And so I just I just can't help it. That's just who I am. However, while that is a common belief within Christian circles, it comes with one massive problem. And that is that there is something that we very easily miss when we're reading this passage and thinking about what it means for us. Because it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit gives us different kinds of fruit. It doesn't say that people might have love or joy or peace. Maybe two, maybe all of them. You know, it doesn't say that that the Holy Spirit kind of picks and chooses what he's going to give somebody. Instead, if you look at the language here, it actually points out that all of these qualities, all of these character traits are part of a single thing, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. It's described as a singular thing. It's a fruit, not fruits. And so when we have Jesus Christ and we're given the Holy Spirit, what he's doing isn't strengthening something we're already good at, but instead giving us all of these things and slowly growing them in our lives because one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is to make us more like Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is all of these things, if he is perfectly loving and joyful and peaceful and having self-control, then we want those things for ourselves and we have access to those things for ourselves. Some are going to be easier or come along sooner than others, but the Holy Spirit is constantly working those things in us. You know, in this process, uh, if, if you may have heard the theological term sanctification, that's what this is talking about. It's this process of the Holy Spirit guiding us and molding us to be more and more like Christ and less like our former selves and less like a world that hates Jesus Christ and stands against him. 
And so in a way, the Holy Spirit's job is to help us become who we're supposed to be and not in some kind of like self-empowerment, be the best you you can be, but instead who we are supposed to be is holy people of God who pursue their Savior. And if we realize that that is our primary goal and our desire, and if that is above all else who we want to be, then the Holy Spirit lets us do that. And part of this process is the fruit of the Spirit. And so over time, if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ long enough, and especially if you haven't lived your entire salvation life in rebellion and basically just saying, hey, I've got my get-out-of-jail-free card, I'm good— But instead, if you've been desiring to grow and being faithful in things like Bible reading and prayer and church attendance and serving your brothers and sisters, and if you've been doing those things, what you're going to be able to do, even right now, you know, pause this episode and just look back at all the things that you used to do, the things that you used to believe, the ways you used to behave, and even the desires you used to have. And notice that as time has gone on and the closer you've gotten to Jesus Christ, the more spiritually mature you've become, the more and more you are drawn to these things within the fruit of the Spirit. And so despite your pleasure-obsessed sin nature that we fight against daily, more and more you are growing in various aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. You are hopefully more peaceful than you used to be, or you have greater self-control than you used to three, four, five, ten years ago. And that's how we know that the Spirit is at work in our lives. And now, you know, if we're honest, we can look back at those things and say, yeah, but man, I really like better patience. I'd really like better peace. And we all would. We'd all like to be perfect in our walk with Jesus Christ. But in this life, with our sin nature, that's not what he calls us to. And instead, he calls us to be walking in the Spirit. And as we do that, you know, we may not demonstrate all the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit as we'd like, but we will see the Holy Spirit slowly and patiently cultivating them and growing those qualities within us. So that is what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. But it's easy to sit there and say, okay, that's great, but... Why don't I have some of these things? Why why am I not farther along than I feel like I should be? I mean, I've been saved for 20 years, and I still get angry at my kids. What's going on? And so I'd like to just share maybe a few reasons why you might not see the growth that you would like. Now, the first is the reality that you may not have asked for these good gifts. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 11... It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And so when the Bible describes God as our Father, or at least the part of the Trinity that is we would call God the Father, that's not just some light description where God's like, oh, I don't know, I guess think of me as a father. No, God has a very direct purpose in describing himself as a father and then establishing the family unit, which has a father in it. Because as as fathers, we want to perfectly, or at least perfectly as, as much as our weak and imperfect selves can, we want to model God the Father to our children so that we are an earthly, imperfect example of what it means for God to be our Heavenly Father. 
And so here in this Matthew passage, Christ is making a beautiful comparison to how our perfect father responds to his children. So God isn't just, you know, some being of immense power. He's not this unreachable impossible deity who we just, you know, live in fear of or or can never fully know, like you see within some religions. Instead, well, yes, he is those things. He is immense. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is also a caring and loving father who wants only good things for his children. Now, as any good parent knows, there is a vast difference between what children want and what they need. And a lot of times we approach God as children asking for the newest toy or to have candy for dinner or to stay up until three in the morning when we have to wake up for school the next day. You know, we approach God thinking, hey, this is what I want and therefore it's what I need. But God is a good and perfect father and he will give us what we need, even if it makes us angry, even if it's not giving us what we want or if it's giving us something we don't want. And so when it comes to the fruit of the spirit and the different aspects of it, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Like there, There's no thing where we just don't have it. What we really are asking is, why am I immature in the various areas of it? Why am I lacking progress like I think I should have? And understanding who God is, what we need to do is just ask him. Say, God, I am not self-controlled. You know, I keep getting angry. I you know, struggle with, you know, whatever addiction, gambling, pornography, alcohol, sugar, whatever it is, coffee. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make some people mad with that one. You know, I'm struggling with this addiction, God, develops better self-control in me. You know, help me to be peaceful. Help me to not constantly start fights with people. Whatever it is where we're lacking, the first step is really just to ask God. Now, when we're asking for God, to grow an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit in us. We also want to make sure that we are asking with the right motives. Because a lot of times what can happen is we can keep praying and praying and praying, and we don't see a response from God. And that can be frustrating because if God wants to give us these good gifts, if if he's our good Heavenly Father, why isn't he giving us what we're asking for? Why isn't he answering our prayers? Well, let's remember what we read in James chapter 4, verse 3, which says, You ask and do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, it can be weird to think that, how could I possibly be sinful in asking for God to grow my self-control or my patience or my faith? But really, it's important to examine our hearts and ask the number one question, why? Why do we want patience? Why do we want self-control? Is it because when we are lacking them, we feel weak, we feel embarrassed, or we feel ashamed because we hurt ourselves and others? Is it because it goes against our pride and we feel like, I should be strong enough to fight this, why am I not? If our motivation is because we want to be better people or we want to be less weak people, and it's a purely kind of humanistic approach, then What would happen is that if God were to fulfill those desires that we have to be better versions of ourselves, then all he's doing is making us feel better about ourselves. So he would be ultimately feeding our pride because we would have one less reason to feel bad about ourselves or to see our own weakness. Instead, we want to approach it in the same way that we're called to in 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So when we're asking God, we want to make sure that our hearts and our motives are facing in the right direction. 
And as Christians, we want to ultimately make it our goal to magnify the greatness of God in everything we do, including growing in our walk with Christ. And so with that, we want to make sure that, yes, we hate sin. We hate that weakness produced by our sin nature, but not because of how negatively it affects us, but instead we want to hate it because our God hates it. And so we want to kill sin and see that fruit grow because it will show how mighty and amazing our God is. And ultimately, it will bring us closer to him. And so asking for the fruit of the Spirit has nothing to do with us and how bad things hurt us, but instead everything to do with wanting to love and pursue Jesus Christ even more. Now, the final reason that we may not see this growth like we want is that while we're asking with faith and we're asking with right motives, we aren't asking with patience. And so where I'm getting that is in Hebrews 11, verse 6, which says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek them. Now, in a way, this can almost be funny because part of the fruit of the Spirit is patience, and yet when we are wanting to grow in our spiritual walk, we grow impatient because we're not getting the results we want. And so what we'll do is we will spend months or maybe even years begging God to develop joy and peace within us. And despite our motives and despite our belief that he will do it, he can still seem incredibly silent. And so it can be so difficult to struggle with things like anger or addiction, things that are these very destructive sins, and see it hurt and destroy everything around us. And then wonder, why is God allowing this? Why is he letting me continue to behave this way? And so I think before we can understand how our patience needs to grow is we need to understand and believe that there are certain things about God that are true. So I'm going to list off just a few of the the traits of our immeasurable God and make sure that you believe these are true. God is all-knowing. He knows everything at all times. There is nothing that's hidden from him. He is all-powerful. He can do anything he sets out to do and that nothing we can do can stop his plans. God is loving in that he doesn't treat his children with hostility or hate because through Jesus Christ, he has no wrath left against us. He has nothing to punish us for. God is good, and everything that he does is therefore good. God is merciful in that he ultimately will spare us and not give us the things that we deserve. God is wise, and this would go along kind of with his all-knowing and all-powerfulness in that He knows what is best, and he knows how to do what he needs to do. He's not just making it up as he's going along. He's not a jazz musician just kind of freestyling it. But God knows how to do what he needs to do. And finally, God is true. That comes down to, yes, him being real, but that everything that he says is true and real and to be believed. Now, if we believe these things about God, and I would assume that most people listening to this podcast do— these things can actually make our lack of progress incredibly frustrating because we know that he could instantly change us, but he doesn't. He could hear our prayer for self-control and say, okay, here, have self-control. But he doesn't do those things, or at least incredibly rarely does he do those things. And while it can be frustrating knowing that he can and doesn't, taking all those things together, we can actually find great comfort in the fact that he can do those things and still chooses not to make it an immediate and instant change in our lives. And now what I'm about to say 
is possibly something that can change your life. And I don't say that as, you know, some kind of, you know, snake oil salesman kind of thing. I mean, truly and genuinely realizing this about God changed my life. It has changed the lives of people that I've talked to. And it's not, it is 100% not unique or new with me, but this is something that we as Christians, because we have such a limited view of everything and, and we want just those instant results. We say, my problem is anger, so I want to stop being angry. Because we have this limited focus, we often don't see the bigger picture of God or how he works. And so of anything in this episode, I really, I really am praying that this might be the one that you will walk away and see God work more mightily in your life if you understand this and believe it. So throughout the Bible, one thing we see is that God is very good at playing the long game. Just think of Israel in the Old Testament. How many times did Israel walk away from God, live in rebellion, pursue other gods, and as a result, they spent sometimes decades suffering? I mean, look at the book of Jeremiah and how they spent decades in the Babylonian captivity. And if we read these things, God often reveals what he's doing and why. He will tell Israel, hey, here's what's going to happen, and here is why. I have a greater plan in mind, and this plan is not to punish you or to hurt you, but to restore you. I am doing this because I love you. And so we see that God never abandons Israel or the individual people that we see throughout the Bible. He doesn't forget them, and never are God's plans ever foiled. Everything that we see in the Bible, every bit of suffering that his people go through— Every weakness and every failure that they that these people wish wasn't there, it was all part of God's perfect timing. And as we look back in the Bible, we can see that despite all the suffering they went through, it was for a greater purpose. Their weaknesses and their, their failures aren't just things that God happened to be lucky enough to turn into something good, but that God had planned and that he knew that they would be weak. He knew they would fail. And he allowed them to do things that allowed them to see more of who God is and why everything else that they were chasing after, everything that they believed was so wrong. And so, you know, could God have given Israel a perfect love for him? Sure. Could he have immediately changed their hearts and made them stop pursuing idols? Sure. But God didn't, and he never did. Instead, God says, hey, you're going to go through this suffering. You're going to be conquered. You're going to be exiled. And I am doing this so that you will have more faith, so that you will trust, so that you will see why the best thing that you can possibly do is to love me and to follow me. And so when we see that bigger picture of Israel in the Old Testament, and if we look at the lives of those around us, and especially if we look at our own experiences of how God has grown us, what we see is that God doesn't just snap his fingers and immediately change us. No matter how desperately we want to stop being angry or we want more faith or we want to be more gentle in how we talk to our family, no matter how badly we want those and pray for those things, God isn't going to just immediately change us and make us stop. And so why does he do that? Well, really think about it. Think of the areas in your life where you are strongest, where you have the most faith in God, where you are walking in the most obedience. For the most part, those aren't going to be things that you just say, oh yeah, I just woke up one day and I was better at this part of my, my walk with Christ. Instead, if you're anything like me, you know, if you are more patient or more humble or more peaceful or more loving to people than you were years ago, if you stopped and really traced how God has led your life, what you're going to see is that, you know, things like faithfulness, things like 
you know, rejecting pornography. Those aren't always things that just magically changed, but instead they are the result of a long road of frequent failures, of, of us frequently falling and failing and doubting God and pursuing our own desires and our own pleasures. And when we do those things and when God allows us to do those things, what always happens is that this thing that we thought would make us feel so good, whether it's yelling at our kids, whether it's being angry at our coworkers, whether it's, you know, gambling or alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, whatever sins there are that we want God to change and to, to grow us in, what God does and in, in the stories of people who have been brought out of sinful ways or who are stronger in their walk with Christ, what they're going to tell you is that what they had to learn wasn't how to be better people, but instead they had to get to a point where they were so broken and so utterly hopeless in all the things they tried that all they could do was fully and completely rely on God and to rest in him. They had to realize that no matter how much they tried to be better people, how much they tried to resist, they always saw just a little bit of their own pride in there. They always saw that they were relying on themselves or programs of the world or whatever, just a little bit. But it's when they realized that, one, the sin that they were pursuing wasn't bringing them satisfaction, and two, nothing they could do on their own would bring them out of it, that they came to this point where... They just gave up. They gave everything to God and said, God, I just can't do it anymore. I'm tired of trying. I'm, I'm tired of trying to rely on you and other things. If this is going to change my life, it 100% has to come from you. And when someone has a heart that is truly praying that way, not that someone is just kind of saying that way because they're trying to manipulate God, but someone who is truly believing that about God, that, that a human being is incapable of overcoming their sin on their own. That is when God starts truly changing us and starts growing us in the same way that we see all throughout the Bible where he allows people to fail and to struggle and to maybe even live in sin all so that he can restore them and so that they can see that, you know, holy living isn't something that we do because we are better people, but it's something that we do because we realize how incapable and how weak we are. And that a true love of God and a true walk that pleases Jesus Christ only comes when we are resting in our God. And so let me just maybe give you some examples from my own life and how I have seen this truth lived out time and time again. So if you've been around here long enough, you may have a picture of me as someone who is humble, who isn't just trying to you know show off or belittle people or things like that. I can guarantee you I am not naturally humble. Any humility I have comes as a result of my pride constantly getting me in trouble and making me fail and making me hurt other people to the point that I had to rely on God and say, God, I don't want to be who I naturally am. I had to get to a point where I had to give up everything that I thought would make me happy to God and have him replace all my pride with a desire to know who he is so that I can better live in this world and serve my brothers and sisters. If you uh, have been here for a long time and you've kind of seen me uh, discuss uh, current events, you know, things like, um, you know, the, the big dream videos that came out about a year and a half ago or talking about some controversies within Christianity, uh, you know, people often remark about how I'm very peaceful about it and I'm not tearing people down, but I am I'm generous and gracious to people while still calling out sin or things that are unbiblical. Again, 100% not me. If you knew me 
even 10 years ago, I mean, I was all about, you know, casting people down and tearing people apart and just, you know, the kind of that fire and brimstone kind of mentality for not just the idea of, oh, you're, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. But even within Christianity, you know, I was all about preachers and beliefs and even in my own speaking of just tearing down anything that I didn't agree with. But again, God had to show me that I needed to hate those things. And as I asked him to change me, he gave me more and more opportunities to fail so that I could see where I wasn't relying on him to be a peaceful person. And, you know, a final thing is uh, my patience as a teacher. You know, this ministry is all about my heart as a teacher and me wanting to basically just encourage other Christians in their walk with Jesus Christ and doing so in a way that is gentle and loving, but really calling people to honestly evaluate their motives and their hearts and to hate sin and love God. And if you've, you know, seen kind of patience in my ministry and in how I speak, I want to guarantee you, I am not a patient person. I am, and that's something God is still growing in me. But, but when it comes to teaching, I naturally am a kind of person who I want to say, hey, here's the truth, believe it or not. If you don't believe it, you're stupid. That is naturally me. I'll, I'll be completely honest. I when I'm not walking with God, when I am not in the spirit, when I am not relying on Jesus Christ and remembering who I am serving with my teaching, I want people to just know the truth. I want to lay out the facts and say, here's what it is. How can you not believe it? Now, I don't do that. And in, in, in terms of teaching, God has brought me so far from that over the years. But again, that is a natural part of who I am. And it was only through some very big failures on my part when I was teaching people and, and having discipleship opportunities where God had to keep saying, hey, you hurt this person. You were not showing Jesus Christ when you were teaching. Just because it's truth doesn't mean that it needs to be spoken how you want to speak it. And God has had to really grow me in those ways. And as I've you know prayed and asked him, God, give me more patience, give me more peace, make me more loving, give me more faith in things, give me better self-control. As I've prayed those things, God has never once waved a magical wand and said, abracadabra, you're better. Instead, what I've often seen is more opportunities for me to fail or more opportunities for me to desire to get angry or to be impatient or to be unloving. I've seen more of those opportunities, not because God is tempting me to sin, but because I am seeing more and more all these ways that I need to consistently and constantly rely on God for everything, not just in places where I find myself backed into a corner and need help, but in every moment of my life, I am needing to rely on the power of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross in freeing me from sin to walk as someone who is free in Jesus Christ, who does not have to give in to my sin nature or my natural temptations or my desires. And none of that, like I said, has come by an abracadabra from God, but all through long and sometimes painful times in my life where God has slowly grown these things in me because he is a good God and he gives me what I need, but rarely does he give it to me in the way that I want it. And so that is what I hope that you most of all take away from this is that if you're lacking something in the fruit of the spirit, it's not that you lack a fruit of the spirit as though it's a giant fruit basket and someone took all the bananas or I don't know who would take all the bananas, the strawberries, the chocolate covered strawberries. If you're, if you're looking at your life and seeing there's something lacking, it's not that you won't get it. It's that it's something that God still needs to develop in you. And so God is today growing I would guess all those qualities in you, some at more rapid paces than others and some in more obvious ways than others. 
but trust that when you are asking God to grow you, that he will answer. It won't be how you want, and it may not even be how you like. You may not want to overcome your natural desire for anger by having your car break down and losing your job and you know, having your kids just never give you a moment of peace. I mean, there's all kinds of things where we are given opportunities to either give in to our sinful desires or to rely on God. And the more you see your weakness, the more you're probably going to see opportunities for those things to come up and for you to say, am I going to give in to my desire to not be peaceful, not be patient, not have faith? Am I going to give in to my desire to give up self-control, to pursue a an immediate pleasure at the cost of long-time suffering? Or am I going to rely on God and say, God, in spite of my desires, in spite of what I think I'm capable of, I need you to change me, to help me, to demonstrate Jesus Christ in this moment. And the more we do that, the more we'll see that God always has a far greater plan in mind for when we are going through difficult times. It's not that he's punishing us. It's not that he has forgotten us. But instead, he is allowing us to grow in ways that are almost impossible for us to fathom. So trust that God is good, trust that he is who he says he is, and trust that through the death of Jesus Christ, you have the entire fruit of the Spirit. Now it's just a matter of how much we're going to allow God to grow it in us versus how much we're going to fight him and love sin more than we love God. And so let me just end this with a reminder that we get from James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever sins you're struggling with, ask God to give you faith to know that there is a purpose to it. And through faith, keep walking in obedience and relying on God more and more, and trust that your good and perfect and loving Heavenly Father wants only the best for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. If you'd like to support this ministry, there are three ways you can do it. I would always ask for prayer, both for myself and for the ministry. You can support it through outreach by sharing this episode with others, or you can support it financially. And you can do that by following links down in the show notes where you can give a one-time or monthly donation. Now, I hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.